Heavenly Father, today as we launch into this freedom series, I ask that you go before us, that you stir our hearts, that you move this church in the direction that you would have it go. May we be along for the ride as we follow your lead. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something interesting about humanity, all of mankind. All throughout history, there's this one call that just rings true. Everybody's got it inside of you, and it's this call for freedom. You hear it in every explosion of fireworks on the 4th of July. With every flap of the red, white, and blue, you think, yes, that's what I feel inside me. Uh, Way back in our country's history, you've heard it too, back in 1775, this guy, here he is on the screen, his name's Patrick Henry. Um, I'm not a big fan of his hairstyle, but I would take anything these days. (laughs) Curls, whatever, it's all good. Patrick Henry in his most famous um, exposition, as as he's up front and he's he's speaking his heart, he finishes as, uh, as England is taxing American colonies and holding them hostage, and he says, give me liberty or give me death. You'd rather die than to be in slavery. Moving along in history, you get to August 28, 1963, and this guy, one of my heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., he stands on the Lincoln Memorial steps and he paints a picture of what America could look like as a unified country moving forward no matter what race or gender or differences we have. And he says at the end, he says, let freedom ring. It's this innate call in your heart. It's everybody wants it. Not even in our own country, but throughout the world, this cry for freedom is heard. Back in the 1200s, way back when, a young boy named William Wallace was born. You've heard of him before. Uh, Probably don't recognize him like this. You probably recognize him like this. (laughs) Right? Man, my mind went a little crazy as I was thinking, man, how can I illustrate William Wallace? And I thought, you know, I could wear a kilt be thankful that I didn't. So instead, I brought this. I might get fired for this, but that's okay. (laughs) Look at this bad boy. Look at that thing. Isn't that amazing? It's not mine. I might cut my hand off this morning, but look at this thing. I mean, have you ever seen a William Wallace sword like that? Isn't that amazing? This comes from one of our church elders. Um, His name is Todd. (laughs) Yeah, We got got elders protecting the church. All right. <laughs> Todd is uh, Todd Chobatar is one of our elders, and he um, collects many things, including swords. And so I texted him this week, and I said, "Hey, man, um, I need uh, I need your sword." And so he said, "No problem." So he sent his kids this morning to bring this sword here. Pretty cool thing. It's not that sharp, although uh, I wouldn't want your kids to come and play. I'm not asking for volunteers this morning. Oh, hang on. The Chobatars are a really cool family. They have lots of uh, different things that they collect, including they have two pet rats. That's the the reaction? That's it? I thought you would be more disgusted. (laughs) There it is. So Todd has a collection of swords, and I wanted to bring that. I'm telling this story just so I could bring a sword to church. That's it, really. So William Wallace, you know his story. You've watched the movie back in 1995 when it came out. Uh, The story is that William was born to a knight and a landowner in Scotland. The king of Scotland dies. The next in line is his granddaughter. And on the way to the throne, she dies. King Edward I from England said, this is my chance. And so he imposes his um, uh, leadership 
and reign in Scotland. William Wallace is not going to have anything of it, and so he begins to form an army of just the common people. They're not trained militia. They're just farmers. And so armed with rakes and shovels and hammers, this group of ragtag guys go toe-to-toe with this beautiful, trained, well-equipped army from England. And in the most uh, famous part of his story, at least in the movie Braveheart, William Wallace rides his horse back and forth in front of his ragtag army who's ready to just go home. And he's encouraging them, and he's inspiring them, and he says these lines. Here's what he says. He says, you may, you have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do without freedom? Will you fight? And all the men say, no, we will go home and live. And Wallace says, run, and you'll live, at least for a while. But dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one? for one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Everyone, for generations to generations, no matter what race or gender you are, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter how blessed your family is, we all have a longing in our soul for freedom. From the moment your heart began to beat in your mother's womb, you wanted freedom. Punching and kicking, you wanted out of there. It's human nature that we want freedom. We were made to be free. That's why when the Olympics come on and the national anthem is played and we see the American flag or a flag of your country, tears come to your eyes because we humans, we always crave freedom. But freedom is more than just something you crave. I believe it's something to which we are called. This morning, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There's a blue one in front of you, and you can follow along on page 825. It's uh, the same version that I'll read, so you can follow along. And let me tell you this morning, I was choked up so hard this week as I was brooding over this passage because it is the raw, real gospel of Jesus, and it changes lives. It, I mean, it just, it just wrenched my heart this week. And so if you leave today unchanged by reading this message, then maybe you're tired or distracted or, or something because it's hard to read this without being changed. Here's the context of Galatians chapter 5. Paul, he's this, this pro-church planter. He's been traveling around, planting churches all over the place, but he doesn't just plant the church and drop it like a bad habit. He goes back and he ministers to them and he writes them letters of encouragement and he just connects with them and pulls them along and if something's wrong, he, he, he speaks to that, uh, that item, whatever it is, and he continues the relationship with them. Now the church in Galatia, just like so many churches that you know, has two groups of people, the old timers and the noobs. The people that have been there forever and the people that are just getting there. The people in this church that were dedicated and baptized and married in this church and the new people that have just stepped foot in this church for the very first time. And these two groups of people come together and just like every other church in the world, when two different groups come together, you either get combustion in the church that drives it forward or you get conflict that holds the church back. And the crux in the conflict of the church in Galatia still plagues the global Christian church and even the Seventh-day Adventist church today. 
As the church in Galatia, they've been busy, they've been evangelistic, they've done revelation seminars, they've done tent meetings in the parking lot, and God has blessed their hard effort, and new people have come to the church, and so they have these these original OG Jewish Christian converts, and new Gentile Christian converts have now come to the church, and the church is growing, but there's this problem because the original Jewish Christian converts are telling the new Gentile converts that Paul didn't tell them the whole story. In fact, they're saying, we are so glad that you found Jesus, but there's other things you need to do. We're so glad that you found Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Circumcision goes all the way back to Genesis when God gives this covenant to Abraham and he says, uh, circumcise your children and on the eighth day that they're born, and it's a permanent uh, sign and symbol of the covenant, the promise between you and me that you are mine and I am yours. But now that Jesus has come, instead of a physical sign of flesh that's a statement of your faith, now we have baptism. It's the same thing. It's the public display of your commitment to Jesus. Yet, as so often happens in churches, even now, traditions keep lingering on. And because they're so ingrained in our lives and because they were so ingrained in their lives then that the Jewish Christians are telling the Gentile Christians that they've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. They say, I'm glad that you found Jesus, but there's more. You know, it breaks my heart as I think about the struggle that we still have today. In my 39 years of life and watching the Adventist church, we struggle with it too. In fact, I would say that in my lifetime, the single greatest struggle that the Seventh-day Adventist church and many other churches have too is we struggle with our insecurity with salvation. We tend to say the same thing that they say too. Now, I'm glad that you found Jesus, but there's more. And it cheapens the gospel. I would say it even ruins the gospel. I just finished reading a book, and it, this book blew my mind because it's about the first time that I read a book that describes God in the way that I see him. It's the book right here, Gentle and Lonely, Lowly by D- Dane Ortland. Uh, if you need a book to read, read this one because it describes God like the gospel describes him. And in this book, Dane says these words. Here he is on the screen. Go ahead to the next slide. He says, Galatians, that's where we are. Galatians teaches that we are made right with God based on what Christ has done rather than on what we do. He says, to help the gospel therefore, is to lose the gospel. Jesus doesn't need help saving you. He did it at the cross. Jesus' death is enough. It's more than enough to save you. And I wish that people understood this because it changes everything. One of my favorite parts of my job is is spending time studying the Bible with people, and I get to do it all the time. In fact, when people um, message the church or email the church or call the church and they say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus, I'm eager to get those messages because I want to spend time with those people because I get to watch the Holy Spirit work in their lives and move them and change them into different people. It's, It's the most rewarding part of my job, and I get to do this all the week. Now, on Wednesday afternoon, After school gets out, there's two young guys. Here's a picture of them on the screen. Look at these two stud muffins. This is Lucas and Eric Azevedo and their dog, Bubba. That's a good name for that dog right there. They come to my office 
The grandpa brings them over, and we spend time studying the Bible and getting to know Jesus even better. And, and as I've studied with them, I'm amazed at their understanding of the gospel. Because 90% of the time when I sit down with someone and I talk about salvation, this, this, this picture of fear comes over their face because they think, man, if I love Jesus, if only I can be good enough, and if only I cannot sin, then I can be saved. And it breaks my heart, yet I see Eric and I see Lucas, and they get it. They understand that it's not about not sinning that gets you to heaven. It's all about knowing Jesus. Nothing more, that's it. And Paul begins to explain this concept of freedom in Jesus in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here's what my Bible says. Yours will say the same. He says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse two, he's emphasizing this. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. It's powerful. Verse six, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He continues on, verse 13 and 14, which is the passage that we're going to use for this series. He says these words. I'm going to read the, the two verses, but it's the first sentence that we're sticking with today. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters at Forest Lake Seventh Adventist Church, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this very one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says you were called to be free. That's who you are. It's how God made you. You were meant to be free. And while Satan will do anything and everything to hold you in bondage, he'll tell you you're not good enough. He'll give you habits. He will show you how weak you are. He will chain you up with sin. He will lock you down with failure of not living up to God's design. While he'll do all that, your calling to freedom in Jesus still shouts from the cross as a victory cheer that Jesus paid it all and you're a child of God. Satan's goal has always been to make people slaves. That's what he does. Keeps you away from freedom. And he'll use anything and everything to do just that. He'll fill your life with addictions that you can't overcome. He'll fill your heart with hatred for others. He'll give you jealousy. Uh, he'll, he'll make you live with anger in your heart so that you don't forgive somebody else so you just live with that baggage in your life. He'll give you challenging marriages. Guys, I can't tell you how many marriages are falling apart right now. I could list them. Uh, he gives you difficult children. Can I get a witness, anybody? He gives you challenges with finances too. He'll do whatever it takes to keep you in bondage, whatever it takes to distract you. He'll try his best to keep the church, that's the people, in slavery so they can never fully understand God's mission. If he can just distract the people and have them add things to what's needed for the gospel, then it takes away from the gospel and then the church doesn't win. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the church is not weak, <laughs> it's not feeble. Not even the gates of hell can stand against the church because Jesus wins in the end. The gospel is a gospel of freedom. We're called as a church to take that freedom and give it to the world. And I've seen God moving in this very church. 
Listen, when I first got here, my very first Sabbath here, you didn't know me. You thought I had hair on my head. Not, I messed you up on that one, didn't I? Gotcha, suckers. I sat in a pew over there during a worship service and we worshiped together. I was checking out the church to see what it was like. And after church, I went to the Upper Youth Center and all the pastors uh, were there too. And we sat and we ate haystacks, the holy food, of course. And after we ate haystacks, they they asked me tough questions and I got to ask them questions. And and I asked them this question. I said, "Um, is there one place where you really see God moving in this church? And it's a hard question for a group of people because who's going to answer? Who's going to be the spokesperson? So they looked at each other kind of awkwardly and then after a few minutes the answer came and they said, well, Matt, like, there's not just one place where God's moving. He's, he's moving throughout the church. He moves in all the different ministries. He's, he's moving in, in all sorts of things and I believe it and I've seen it. I've watched him move in the children's and family ministries and the adventurers as, as kids from young ages are brought up to know Jesus as their Savior. I've seen him in the middle school and the high school ministry and pathfinders as kids are brought into leadership and they're transformed from just followers to leaders. I've watched him in our worship services, not just how we sing up front, but how many people are involved in greeters and deacons and deaconesses and, and AV and parking lot attendants. I've watched him in our elders. I've watched God move in our Sabbath schools. I mean, you, you know we have a problem in this church. It's called space. The Sabbath school rooms are jammed. You know this. Now, I get emails all the time. Pastor Matt, can we get more chairs in our Sabbath schools? Uh, now, Pastor Matt, we have another problem. We have chairs, but we don't have space for the chairs now. I don't know what to do with this. What are we going to do? I see him moving in our quilting ministry where we send quilts across the globe, prayer quilts that minister to people. I watch God moving in our gift and thrift ministry where hundreds of people come on this campus every week to be helped, to have assistance. I watch him move in our counseling ministry as people that are hurting, marriages, just personal issues, whatever it is. They come here and they are blessed because they're able to process well or our support groups. I see him in our warehouse community, a group of people, young and old, that come to focus on on worshiping Jesus. He's moving in our church. I see him moving at Fleece and at FLA and in our schools as our kids get a picture of Jesus each and every day. If you don't know anything about the Forest Lake Church, know one thing. God is moving here. And while I'm pretty new to Forest Lake, I've been here a year and a handful of months, And many of you have watched the history of Forest Lake and you've seen how God has been moving from a long time ago all the way till now. And our church has moved and 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 gone to different places and it's looked a little different, yet God has been in the middle of it all. I mean, many years ago our church had a focus on worship, a very wide and diverse worship, a plethora of options where you could come whatever preference and style you wanted, and we had it here, and you could come and worship God in that way. And that focus then helped us move to the next part, which back then, at some point, our focus of ministry wasn't just here and just Orlando and just Florida and just North America, but we focused on reaching the whole world with the gospel. And we said, let's invest time and money and effort and training into cameras and our web service so that we can have a live stream of the gospel to the whole world. And I'm so glad that we had that when COVID hit, aren't you? We were prepared. In the past, the most recent past, Our church has focused on being a solid, secure presence right here in Apopka, Florida, where families could come to this steady, immovable ship called Forest Lake Church that was dependable. 
You could bring your families and your kids here, you knowing that they would experience Jesus. We became a place of comfort for anyone where they are accepted. And that focus, I believe, has prepared us to move forward again. In fact, I believe with all my heart that as God has continued moving in the past, all those different ways he's brought us to now, preparing our church to be more and more missional in our local community right here in Apopka. He put the church here for a reason. It's because people need to see him. People need to know him. And it's our calling to take the gospel to the people that are dying to hear about it. See, I believe God has brought our church from so long ago till now so that he can do something very powerful. And when the church moves fearlessly forward on God's mission, the devil hates it. And he'll do anything. He'll do whatever it takes to stop the church from moving forward. He'll put people in the way. He'll put money in the way. He'll put opinions in the way. He'll put it all. It doesn't matter because he wants to win. I've seen it too. <laughs> seen it in different churches one church, we went through a renovation project. Have you been through a church renovation project before? Collective groaning, I hear it. In this church, it was a beautiful church, still is a beautiful church. Uh, they had light blue pews, and the carpet was this light blue as well. Doesn't sound too good, but it actually looks kind of nice. And, and uh, the renovations included bathrooms and the kitchen and painting, and also replacing the carpet. Um, but the money was tight, and so we decided to only do the carpet aisles, you know, because under the pews cost a lot more money, and so we, we said, let's just do the aisles. So you had light blue underneath the pews. Well, the renovation committee also had um, an a, 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 um, interior design team that was one lady and her best friend. You see where this is going? They chose the color of carpet. It wasn't blue. They went with about a, a, sh a shade darker of fire engine red with brown paisleys in it. Beautiful. <laughs> and the church went from focusing on the cross to focusing on the carpet. In another church I was at, one of the very first Sabbaths I got there, and as a pastor, the first people that come to you, you got to watch out for those people, you know? <laughs> About the second Sabbath I was there, a lady came up to me and she said, Pastor Matt, we've got to get a new piano. And I looked up on the platform and there was this beautiful, shiny, brand new, I think it was a Baldwin or something. It was a, I don't know, I don't know pianos well. It was gorgeous. And I said, you mean you want to get rid of that piano? She said, yes. A group of wealthy people in our church pooled their money together and they bought that piano. And the action, and I'm not a pianist, but apparently action is how hard you have to press the keys press the keys. That sounds like I'm typing an email, doesn't it? Helen, you know more about this than I do. Uh, the action is too stiff, and it, it hurts my fingers. we got to get rid of that piano. And that pianist for our church decided that it was more important to get her piano than it was to lead worship, and so we went from worshiping to just quitting. The devil will do whatever it takes to stop the church from moving forward. I've seen it. I've watched it with my own eyes. I've seen it all, and what, what I believe is slowing our church down from focusing more on mission and maximizing our efforts on sharing the gospel is simply the handcuffs of debt. You know, ever since I got here, I feel like our church has been choked by debt. Every finance committee meeting, every board meeting, we talk about it. 
We think about it, and I feel like the debt is killing our church from being, having the ability to be more and more missional. When we, when we budget during the, at the beginning of the year and we think about what we can do, ministry ends up being the last thing because we think we've got to make sure we can pay our debts first, so we'll put the other ministry last. Uh, this year, I don't know if you know this, this year was the first year in for maybe forever that Vacation Bible School even had a budget. We had 350 kids in here. And we said, the board said, you know what? We've got to do something. And so we gave a a budget this year. I want it to grow next year so badly. See, our children's ministry center and all that happens in there is like no other. That's probably why at least three quarters of you are here today is because of the incredible uh, value of children's ministry we have here. It's wonderful. Kids come from all over the place to be a part of it. Uh, and if you don't believe me, just look on the steps of the, of the stage here at about 1147 every Sabbath morning, and you'll see 100-plus kids up here because of that. It's such an impact in our, in our church. And it's, it's a side benefit, too. Uh, you may not realize this, but the children's ministry used to be in the west wing of our church. And now that the children's ministry is in this building, we have all this space for adult Sabbath schools that we need more space for. I get that. Yes, I've heard that before too. And maybe you've noticed this uh, lobby out front that's so incredible. I watch ministry happen there all the time. People connecting. It's a big church and you make smaller connections out there in the lobby. I see ministry happening as greeters connect with people. First time guests guests get pulled in. It's a beautiful space, but with all this expansion comes debt. Our warehouse community ministry. What an unbelievable part of our church. If you haven't worshiped with warehouse community, then, then you're missing out because it's a dedicated group of people, young and old, that are there to have an intimate experience with Jesus where he speaks to their heart. It's powerful. And our warehouse community, as as well as our church family, gets the beauty of having a space. You haven't been there yet because it's not finished, but up on the hill, this warehouse that we're working on, a multi-use space where not only worship can happen, but also all sorts of events can happen, like potlucks, amen, I can't wait for that, or or ministry things like, like, wouldn't it be cool if we took all the names from Gift and Thrift and we gave them an invitation and we said, we want to treat you like a king and a queen, so you bring your family and we want to host this meal for you, and we, and we as church members, we don aprons, and we, we go around and we serve them, and we refill their goblets, and we treat them like this beautiful things happen for them. Or what if we did dinner with the doctor up there? Or what if we had, we have an agape feast coming up this Friday night, we're going to have it in the lobby, and it's going to be awesome, and I hope families come to it, it's going to be a blast. We're setting up 300 chairs, and I think we're going to run out. Wouldn't it be great if we could have that up in the warehouse? A, a space to put 600 chairs out there. Paula, I'm sorry if that scares you. 600 people. Terrifying. <laughs> and I believe that in order for our church to be, make the biggest impact that we can, we've got to get rid of the debt so that we can be free. Paul says, you were called to be free. And that speaks to our church, especially when we talk about money too. So we launched the Freedom Campaign. It starts today. Don't worry, put your wallets away. That's coming later. Here's what it looks like, is you gotta know the details of it. Daniel, you can go to the next slide. So you got this big round graph. Here's the breakdown. So our building loan right now is about $4.5 million. Um, it was a $10 million project, so we have done awesome. It's about $39,000 a month that we pay for it. Um, and that's what's choking our church. So that building, that's the Children's Ministry Center, that's the front lobby area, that's the portico share, four and a half million dollars, plus the interest over the next three years, 
is about five million bucks. Now our warehouse project, we have raised a bunch of money and we've done a bunch of work and don't get me started about building a building in Seminole County. Y'all, it's the worst. If you're gonna build a house, do it somewhere else. Not Seminole. Uh, it's been such a challenge because um, I've got story after story about how we've been hit with different bills. $110,000 for a bigger AC unit. Now we got power lines coming in here. It's all fun and games, I guess. Uh, but even though we've raised a bunch of money for that, we still need about $750,000, which includes the interest and it includes a buffer in case we have additional expenses there to finish that project. Can't wait till that's done. And then lastly, to make this a complete project, we have the last piece. Go ahead, Daniel. It's the sanctuary project. Now, this last summer, while our other pastors got the chance to preach, I spent time in different seats here in this sanctuary, and I discovered something that you already know. Depending on where you sit in the sanctuary, you may or may not actually be able to hear. Some of you probably didn't hear that because you're sitting in a bad spot. <laughs> um, and although we've got an incredible AV team, some of our equipment is pretty antiquated and old. And so we've already been working with different groups to, to look at this exact space and to figure out what the best uh, equipment possible would be. And so we've put a price tag of $250,000 on there, which brings us to a whopping total of $6 million, which is a ton of money. But I believe that we can do it. I wouldn't bring this before you if I didn't think we could. Uh, you're here for a reason, for lots of different reasons, but I believe that you're here for uh, uh, one special reason, and that's to be a part of what God's doing in here and setting our church free. It's going to take all of us. If we think it's just going to take a handful of people paying big bucks to take this debt down, uh, we're missing the point. The point really is for our church to come together with one purpose, with one focus, and that's to be freedom to give us the ability to, to share that gospel of freedom with more and more people. And I believe that as we work together over the next three years, that God will do something amazing here, that he'll eliminate this debt, that he'll give us freedom, and that he'll make us the maximized impact that I believe that we can be. So I'm going to pray for us here in a moment, and uh, I'd like to do something kind of silly. Can we do something silly this morning? I heard 12 kids say yes. That's good. <laughs> Um, instead of saying amen, I'd like to have a little cheer. And the cheer simply is, let's go. Do you believe that we can do this, guys? You do? Okay. So on three, let's say, yeah, let's go together. You ready? One, two, three. Let's go. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church. It's your church, God. Every penny of this church is yours. And as we have this debt in front of us, it feels like a big number. Yet you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And so I ask that you will bless us in this freedom campaign. Make it something that honors you. Allow us to have true freedom, not only gospel freedom, but financial freedom, so that we can be more and more on your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.